Hey everybody, con artists are back. We've been gone for a while because of the holiday. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, we hope you had a great holiday with your family. Okay, so we're back to talk about uh, like three episodes apiece now, right? So we have lots and lots yeah, to talk about, much. so let's jump right into it. How's them bloodivores going, Dan? It's going as well as can be expected, which is to say pretty awfully. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, it... You're just making Scott happier and happier. I know, like, right? Every time. He's, he's, don't, wor don't worry, Scott. Your turn will come. But, uh... Oh. Yeah, so, let's see. Um, they've discovered that they may be in some kind of... Like, the, these criminals may be not just, like, stuck in an abandoned city, but are in possibly an alternate dimension. Uh, or behind what? some kind of energy shield. There's dragons and monsters and all kinds of crap in there. Uh, some of the there's dragons. One of the one of the one of the hemomancers is a werewolf, and after <laughs> and after we see them like contain him, we never hear anything else about it. They're obsessed with saving this little girl that they just met, who's named Yaya because that's the noise she makes, like she's some kind of damn Pokemon. So oh she's better than Vivio, goodness. but like only slightly. Or and she doesn't have a personality or anything, if that's what you're talking about. Um. But everyone's really, really uh, keen on saving her. It's like I'm not saying you should let this child die. Just that you have you have a lot of concerns right now, and you barely met this girl. Also, to the point of you have no idea. How did you figure out how this system worked? Like, there's this whole thing where they're all wearing these explosive collars, where if they try to kill each other, they will die. But I've seen a dude kill other dudes and not have any effect. Oh, uh, explosive collars, so we're ripping off Battle Royale now. Well, yes, it's basically like, it. oh my goodness, I can't even begin to describe the number of systems and plot lines that are going on in this thing, none of which have been adequately explored. But yes, everyone's wearing these stupid explosive collars, and apparently they have deduced that you need to kill the monsters in the area in order to keep your counter up, because if your counter goes down, it explodes and you die. So it's also and being that this is it. Sort of, yes, I guess. But, like, being that this is a tiny child, she obviously does not have a good, much of a chance of killing a monster. So they've spent the last, I think, three or four episodes now trying to capture a monster so that she can kill it. Huh. And yeah, it's like leveling up the worst members like, of your party in any RPG. Will you please basically, last yes, thing? But... <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know what else to say about that. Like... There's this. There's supposed to be this entire subplot going on outside with like this uh, police detective trying to figure out what's going on, and he's slowly piecing together the backstory. But thus far, we have no idea what that backstory is, or why it matters, or why this kid has an, a computer embedded in his wrist now, which he has used precisely once and never again. So he's also Penny for Inspector Gadget. Why do you keep saying oh, wait, the dog, words the dog about for this Inspector guy? Gadget. Uh. So we're Inspector Gadget, Battle Royale, yeah, Action League Now, Dead Man Wonderland, and there are Nemo Man. Like, what is wrong with this show? There are so many plot lines, guys. I can't even begin to describe them all. I. It is there. It is a. It is a convoluted mess. It looks like garbage. Ninety percent of the time, when something is happening off screen. There will be three dudes, three throwaway characters in the foreground explaining what's happening. In a t in an otherwise dead shot, it'll just be their mouths moving because this thing is made on half a shoestring worth of budget. Like holy crackers! Nobody cares. 
but they gotta make this, they gotta get this thing out the door. It feels, I feel so bad for the people working on it, but I am going to eviscerate this one day. So Dan, that sounds like the perfect lead-in to Girlish Number. Sure, why wait, not? Wait, hold the phone, hold the phone. What? We haven't... You you have to describe this show in two adjectives. In two adjectives? Huh? Just... Don't think I, I can, forgot. Th- I don't think I can... I don't think I can... Okay, give me... I mean, the three you words I the would use... The, cast. the three words I would use to describe is lack of ambition. Oh, you aren't going to go with okay, stink, stank, so it, stunk? It'll be... Oh, stink, stank, and stunk? Ambitionless blob? Is uh, that what we want to go with? A... <laughs> ambitionless tripe there okay mm-hmm. that's ex- that's an acceptable answer yeah i i feel I, well think, done. I think tripe i think tripe is a good way to put it nice i can say nice. one positive thing over the other kinds of shows like this that i have seen there is virtually no fan service oh well look at that i mean wow take now that i was not expecting you to say take of that what you will it's okay. about the only positive i can give for this entire fiasco <laughs> Well, it is shit sure is something, because it's the same positive I tried to give when we did Active Raid, and it was the only positive I could give that hot mess. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, before I I wake up even more of our time, uh, you said uh, next up we were going to discuss Girlish Number, which I know... Yeah, uh, because you said you were feeling bad about people making a terrible anime. So, like, this is that. Hey, 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 Girlish Number. Yeah. That's pretty... It's going going pretty well. Um, My... I guess not really complaint, but my concern had been that they weren't really going into why uh, some of these girls are in this industry or, you know, what they're kind of getting out of it besides a paycheck. And the more recent episodes have started to explore that a bit. I think what's so amazing about the show is that several of the new episodes have really stripped out Chitose. <laughs> like, they've, they've been focusing on the other girls, like Shibasaki and Momo, and it's just like the show instantaneously got better i was like not that it was bad but it's like every 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 scene suddenly got three times more tolerable and you're like why was oh because you were the burnt part of the casserole girlfriend because you were the burnt part of the casserole like it's just oh gosh she is such a grating character she is but it's deliberate so i can kind of buy it but it's good to see that they've kind of they figured out how to balance her out i guess (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think to balance, meaning they just took her out. Like, several episodes have just been Shibasaki and her her relationship with her parents and Momo and her relationship with her parents. And I actually thought that was genuinely nice because yeah. anime never deals with parents. And this was, they are usually this was dealing with parents. Yeah, they're usually, yeah, no. So this was dealing with parents and family and expectations. And I think it, it really brought a whole new interesting perspective because I'm not going to you know, dwell too much on it, but Shibasaki and Momo have two completely different parental situations that they deal with. It's not that either of their parents, like, don't love them or something nonsense like that. It's just the way in which the parents deal with these girls being in the industry is is unique and to each other, and they have a hard time understanding each other, and I think what's neat is, even after these last couple episodes where they spend a lot of time together, they still don't totally understand each other, but they have a newfound, like, respect for each other. And I was like, I almost wasn't expecting this show to have this level of heart. I'm kind of impressed. I know, right? Now, plus, uh, we got, we still have Kuzu in the, uh, but especially in, like, episode eight, like, he's getting 
instant feedback from uh, <laughs> from his assistant and um, Shibasaki's agent. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah, instant feedback, good. I mean <laughs> by instant feedback, I mean being frog marched out of an inn because he is opening his stupid mouth. Yeah, they're like, stop talking. <laughs> every, every word out of your mouth makes us want to harm you. Yeah, it's it's just so good. There's this great scene where they all get drunk, and was it Tomoda? I don't, I don't, it, uh, something like that. The Kuzu's second in command, the guy who's always getting screwed. He gets totally wasted on Sake, and he's just like, "I hate my boss. I should get rid of him." And they're all like toasting, like Kuzu included, because he doesn't realize they're talking about him. And he's like, "Ah, yeah, screw that guy. Whoever your <laughs> boss is, overthrow him." Here, cheers to you taking command. And I was just like, "This is beautiful." Like, I this desperately is a beautiful want scene. that to happen. Yeah, you're like, yes, yes. This is everything, you know, everything real. So. Good times with Girlish Number. I, I really think that show is is really well written. It's mm. a very intelligent show. And you wouldn't think so just kind of looking at the art or reading the description. So Or Chitose. Oh, yeah. Or Chitose, yeah. Or anything about Chitose. So, yeah. Good times. All righty. No. You know what else is good times? Yuri on Ice. Of course That's it is. That's good times. Yes, Tell me more about Shall We Skate, the show. Who's there about you? Oh, my gosh. Shall We Skate? Hilariously enough, there is a there's a... I um the king and the skater two where a song oh, yes. is featured in in the China Cup. It's not nearly as good as Shall We Skate. Can I just say, like, did you well, guys listen to Shall We Skate? The nature of the I did time? listen to Shall We Skate. That is that is a wasn't song it the most amazing right thing? There's so much. I, English. I, I was in so awe. So much yes. English. So much English, but it's so awesome. Like this. Oh gosh, this chant, Your Majesty. Like yes. Anyway, um. So the the music does continue to be amazing. Uh, we finish up the China Cup, which we were in last time, the free skate program that we needed to go through. Uh, it happens. It's beautifully done. The music continues to be phenomenal. And and like I said before, they're creating real music for this show. Like somebody's composing this stuff. It's not like they just ripped ripped music. A couple of songs are real and and are ripped, but it's really neat to see how much effort is put into the the music and the art in this show so the art continues to be good uh we move on to russia now so yurio is back in play that's russian yuri he's back in play now and he gets to face off against japanese yuri and and this time we get so many interesting characters coming into play like every character that gets on the ice is never a throwaway character they have a story they have a relationship they there's so many interesting things about them and hilariously enough the ultimate rival for both yuris is this guy named jj from canada and he's like the snarkiest guy ever and he's like i am the king of the ice and i'm like i love everything about this man like his free skate program is a song he composed himself called like i am the king or something like <laughs> king jj or something it's just it's so good you it's know, so good he's just so full of it way to uh way to disregard the canadian stereotype japan i don't right? i don't know if you guys think of them the same way that we in america like stereotypically do but uh that is certainly not it at some point, I need to do a comparison of, like, JJ from Canada versus the uh, the G Gundam guy from Canada. Because we've come a long way, Japan, in your opinion of Canada. <laughs> so, that's all I'll say on that. That anyway, was a robot uh, lumberjack. What did you expect? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Good job, Dan. So, um, 
Yeah, so the, I mean, the show the show just continues to be phenomenal. What's most important, and what I of course need to talk about, is episode seven. Um, I'll be covering episode seven through nine, by the way, of Yuri on Ice. But episode seven has a kiss scene between Japanese Yuri and Victor, um, yeah. and it's it yeah. So the the romance is solidified. So holy holy cow! I've you know been talking about how this is a Fujoshi show, and they solidified that romance, and I am just I could not be more proud of Yuri on Ice for committing. To this relationship and just really making it a beautiful relationship between two men um what i think is neat is that at the end so we're we just finish out the russian cup and despite yuri doing so well in the chinese cup he doesn't do as great this time around like russian yuri has a beautiful performance like beautiful in the free skate it's super cool to watch um and and Japanese Yuri just barely makes it. He squeaks by with his score. And what I thought was kind of neat is that a lot of characters are, are being introduced that have kind of like messed up relationships or relationships that are just off and weird and a little creepy and, and just mm. either with the ice or with like the there's these Italian siblings that are a little too into each other. And you're just like, this is this is awkward, but it's almost like the show is is using all these relationships to like showcase how they play out on the ice and how this how this emotion ties into figure skating and how different all these relationships are with both figure skating and with other figure skaters and you know just tying back into the fact that it's a very sensual sensual sport but what i thought was neat was yuri squeaking by and like just barely making it into the finals uh into the grand prix which we'll probably be watching through the rest of the show, is that I really felt like it was a parallel to the slow burn of the love that's forming between Victor and Yuri. And I think in these types of shows, it's usually a like instantaneous, like you're the UK, I'm the same A, you know, let's let's totally be an item. This is like a slow churn. This is two people like genuinely trying to understand each other, genuinely falling in love very slowly. And I, I thought it was a neat metaphor for Yuri to like just barely make it into the Grand Prix and like because he's just kind of learning what love is. So that was that was a really beautiful metaphor. So the show continues to be phenomenal. Uh, if you haven't jumped on board, uh, highly recommended. All right, hmm. good to hear that they're uh, actual. They're actually following through. Thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Don't nicely uh, played. Don't, not just don't bait. bring this kind of stuff up. Yeah, exactly. Don't bring this stuff up if you're not going to uh, stick to it. So yeah, so that, advice, that committing was fantastic. Advice for all you for all you other fabulous fabulous uh, sports anime out there. Don't just tease us. <laughs> nice. So let's see. Diverting as far as we How's can possibly Gundam, get Scott? from uh, yeah from from sports anime. There's Gundam, hmm. uh, which has continued to be very good. And boy, that plot is just moving a mile a minute. I mean, it also helps we have. I have a couple episodes to go through. Uh, so we last left him, the, the sort of the, the secondary branch, the B team, was down on Earth, sort of getting embroiled in this large border conflict and being controlled from behind the scenes by sort of adults that are taking advantage of them. Uh, that does end up sort of concluding, and, I mean, they do the best they can, but things are things are pretty rough uh, down on Earth for, for the branch there. Uh, mm. So the main characters finally have to kind of come to the rescue, but there's there's quite a bit of losses uh, they have to deal with and some unexpected changes in the cast that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, but now the action has sort of primarily moved back to Mars. Cudelia, the uh, the sort of female lead of the first season, sort of continues to be a very background character. Like she's yeah. running her own company. That's now, unfortunate. And she's doing like she is successfully doing negotiations and stuff, but it's all kind of happening off screen. 
uh, and she's starting to get embroiled in like her real, the real first real political difficulties of her uh, career. Now that she has to kind of go a lot more bureaucracy and a lot less idealism, which is interesting to watch. And actually, there's sort of a parallel in how the the Tekadon, the the organization of these these kids, is doing. Like up till now, they've kind of gotten by on just killing anyone that gets in their way and being very good at that. But now, you know, a lot of people have started to take notice, and their boss and some of the other guys have to start getting good at politicking. So like putting on suits and going to meetings and talking with people. And they're like, God, I wish I could just get in a Gundam and punch something because this is awful. This is worse. Like bureaucracy is so say, much worse. I, I never, mm -hmm. I never saw very much of it, but what I saw of it, I cannot imagine any of those characters being an effective, being an effective negotiator or leader or anything off the battlefield. They just, everything about them is violence and aggression pretty much. Right, and like, so and I, I guess can say, the... as someone in corporate America, I too hate meetings and generally just want to get into a mech and someone punch someone in the face. It yeah. would spice up the, uh, it would spice up the department sinks, I will give yeah, it that. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it... I'll show you where to take your parking lot for ideas. Ugh! Like. <laughs> What's that, yeah. a potluck? How about a pot to your face? Like. Ugh. Yeah. So he's, yeah, the, basically Orga the leader uh, is really trying to, to get better at this. And he has have assistance from people, but it's interesting to watch him sort of struggle with non-Battlefield related things. And there's a lot for him to struggle with, like Yellowhorn, the sort of the the enforcer organization, like it's starting to split from within. Uh, and one of the antagonists from last season actually is now basically allied with Tekadon against other factions inside Yellowhorn. While the mafia organization that is backing Tekadon is also having its own internal splits because of their growing influence. So there's there's a lot of plot threads going on, and it's pretty interesting to watch. The, I mean, the fights continue to be fantastic, but it's not always fights. So they're doing good. That's awesome, though, because the heart... Honestly, like, we forget, but the heart and soul of Gundam is political. Yeah, more it, often than not, yeah. Yeah, more of a, it, it's really, really political. Like, I think some of the newer Gundams throw you off because it's a lot of flash and a lot of explosions and a lot of stuff. But the heart and soul of Gundam was really that, it, you know, the space drama came from a lot of politics. So I'm glad they're getting back to that. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, anyone remembers Gundam Wing, even that had like Oz and the Alliance and Tuberov and the Sank Kingdom and all these other guys. So yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's an integral part of Gundam. Yeah. Um, yep. You know what doesn't have a lot of space politics? <gasps> What's that? Udon country. <laughs> How is no, Udon not a lot, country? Not a lot of space battles, no. <laughs> no, very little of that. More um, than you'd expect, actually, though, thanks to that Gao Gao cartoon. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Excuse me, what? Great way to throw that. <laughs> At the end, of, sorry, sorry to derail you. Like your friend. delivery was so good too. Like more than I expect, thanks to that. Like go go cartoon. Like what? In in the show, there is a children's cartoon called like Gao Gao Shan or something, and it is all about this like lion like space alien that comes to Earth and is like hanging out with these two girls who own a garage. And it exists in the world of the show, but they also show, like, short... The entire episode. Yeah, short episodes of it of the... at the end of every uh, Pogo Zudon world episode. And is it amazing? And being that he is an alien from space, I mean, yeah, space battles. <laughs> Not much of them, but they're there. Yeah, it's like, 
I think at the, uh, I don't remember if it was one of the last four episodes because it drops on the weekend. So we haven't uh, been there since episode five and it's up in episode nine now. But uh, like, I think at the very end of one of those episodes, one of the girls notices a zipper on his back and like pulls it. But then the episode ends and then when the next one starts, it, you know, it's totally forgotten. Nobody has mentioned it. <laughs> but the thing is, we show. we see all of the other members of his species and they all look vaguely like him. So... I don't know. We're overthinking this. This is a this is like at most a five minute part of each episode, if that. Oh, not even. Yeah, three minutes maybe. Anyway, uh, a lot of the other episodes, uh, a lot of the rest of the like actual episodes are are actually uh, going back to that point we have about uh, people's relationship with their parents. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think in the most recent episode, the guy straight up like says out loud sort of to himself and, and to his friend who's uh, hanging out with him I wish I had spent more time with my dad before he died like I wish I had learned from him uh, stuff and it's, a, it's kind of touching yeah hmm. it's like it's a very it's a very mellow show but it does have moments with a lot of you know genu genuine heart here and there so I'm I think it's kind of matured as it's gone like there's still some an advertainment aspect to it. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, maybe this is my fault for not remembering, but I'm not sure if I've seen the vice governor uh, talking up anything at the end of the episodes recently. He pops up. Oh, he does. Okay. I mean, it's gotten a little less specific, more about like you know general features of the uh, of the district, but uh, that's about all. He's still around. I mean, we went to one of those cool islands. That uh, we went to a. Uh, like a a park of some sort. Yeah, some sort of garden. We spent one of the episodes actually at Tokyo Tower. Yep. When he goes back to uh, resign from his workplace to do freelance work. One must like, always return to Tokyo Tower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm also happy that they're finally moving a little bit further along with Poco, because up until now, like, the fact that he has been... The, the fact that this kid is a Tanuki has barely come up. Like, occasionally he'll have to hide the kid when someone comes by, because now and again, now and again, the his ears and tail will appear, um, just unconsciously, because it's hard to stay in human form for him, I guess. But uh, more recently, he started to... It started to kind of weigh on him that this is a more serious issue, and if he wants to stay with this kid, he's going to have to address it. Not to mention that there is a... There's a priest in the town who is we haven't seen we, think. we haven't seen enough of him, but he's big into the folklore of the place, and Tanugis feature very heavily into uh the province's uh history and lore. Cute. We think he's onto him. Yes. He's he's very he, he's got a very sly face, but he's also very amicable. It's very hard to tell exactly how much he knows and how much of it is just guesswork. Oh, but, the uh, kind of wide smiling. He's also governor. a DJ. Yeah, okay. A little bit like that, but he doesn't seem malicious. I'll be interested to see where that all comes out. They're, they're running out of episodes to deal with it, so I'm curious as to how exactly it's going to resolve. Righto. So what else are you guys following? Who wants to hear about some March Comes In Like a Lion? Why not? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this show just, I mean, continues to be the the best. It, it's probably the best one in, in the set, uh, maybe against Flip Flappers, which is good in a totally different way 
But um, the show is really diving deep into Ray and sort of his depression. And I think it's really interesting because I don't feel like Japan talks about that a whole lot. Like we get these girls a lot of the time with like broken personalities or tragic backstories. But a lot of that is there to create a character trope and, and give, you know, you the male character some satisfaction in taking care of them or something nonsensical like that. Um, this, this is genuine, like, depression, and it's fascinating the way it's dealt with, because it's dealt with in tone of voice, and color, and mood, and lighting, and all of these things that are so mature. Like, it talks about the subject in such a mature way without actually saying depression. Hmm. So, I, I thought that was so neat, because it, it's something I rarely get to see. Uh, so, it's really him dealing with a lot of that. Um, first of all, for March Comes In Like a Lion, really quick, uh, for everybody who was laughing and were saying I'm a doofus every time I was like, this show is just like Honey and Clover. Yeah, it's written by the same woman who wrote Honey and Clover, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't do my homework ahead of time. Uh, that's why it looks like and sounds like and feels like Honey and Clover. Ta-da! Surprise, surprise. Um, Honey and Clover so, 2. Hilariously March enough, Comes Like a Lion. Yeah. Yeah, March Comes In Like a Lion. So... Um, is there already a Honey and Clover 2? I don't know. Oh, there shoot. is actually already. Yes, <laughs> this, there this is. Can be, this There's can be number three. Yes. So, uh, hilariously enough, the show must have heard me last time when I was like, the show never teaches you anything about shogi. Yeah, how about like three episodes where we learn about shogi? <laughs> so, yeah, so the one of the, the sisters, Hinata, wants to learn how to play shogi, and we get, we get a showcasing of that, and it's really adorable the way it's taught. The, the chubby kid... Uh, Nikaido, he's like, I'm going to teach you to play Shogi with this beautiful book about cats. And so uh. there's these cats and they're like different, the different pieces on the board and they sing a song and there's a little like CG moment where they're like, nya nya Shogi. And they like tell you about how they move and how they protect the king. And it's adorable. And at the end, Ray is like, where did you buy this book? And Nikaido turns around with starry eyes and goes, I drew it myself. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Yes. He's like, I passionately drew each page. And it's like his butler is looking at each one going, oh, master, this is so beautiful. And I was like, everything about this sequence is awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Oh, so I learned grief. a little bit about how to play Shogi. It was it was really nice. And um, But you know what? I think what's so cool about this show uh, is the metaphor and the way they use metaphor to describe different subjects. So... Um, Ray's relationship with Shogi, it symbolizes just so many things. Like in the last episode, Shogi was a symbol of pain and of loss and of, you know, finding purpose in life. And I think it continues to be purpose in life, but it also is drive. And with him teaching Shogi or doing a really crappy job teaching Shogi and Nikaido hmm. taught it with cats, it's friendship. It's, it's transforming into something else that doesn't have to be painful. Uh, the other thing is his adopted, not adopted, sorry, his stepsister, Kyoko, shows up. And Kyoko is actually the same girl from the, um, the vision we had a couple episodes ago where I think either Kyoko sexually assaulted him or, like, borderline sexually assaults him and she is just the most fascinating character i have ever seen she is manipulative she is just oh my gosh there's so much harshness and cruelty to her but the way she's portrayed so she shows up and i've been harping on the fact that the show uses color and light in this beautiful way she is shown in like this beautiful 
first of all, she's supposed to be very, very pretty. She's described as really pretty. But she has this, like, gorgeous lighting put on her. And, like, the whole color scheme that she's in changes to make her, like, almost have this angelic coloring to her. Hmm. But she's so cruel and so horrible and just... Holy crap. And her interactions with Ray, like they have a conversation, which I just felt awkward sitting in on because you don't really understand everything they're talk about they're talking about. And you feel like this eavesdropper on their conversation that is part mm. disdain, part like sexual desire, part cruelty, part just manipulation. You, you just feel uncomfortable. And it's so fantastic. Like the fact that they could do this with a scene with just dialogue and light and color. I continue to be just amazed at the effort Shaft is putting in and the writing that went into this. So just a phenomenal, phenomenal show. I mean, and just to, to end, the way he describes his, his stepsister Kyoko is she's like the lightning in the daytime that brings torrential rain. And it's, it's like, you don't need anything besides that to understand what kind of person she is. And, and so it's amazing the way they use metaphor and, and bring, bring these characters into Ray's life and, and describe how he deals with relationships and give you a deeper understanding of him through other people and through all these metaphors. So I, I can't recommend this show enough. And I just discovered that it's 25 episodes. So wow. get, get, on, season, yeah, get on this. Yeah. Get on this show. All right. I Most definitely. To, I might have to jump back uh, on that maybe over the Christmas break. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's very, very good. Because the way you described it reminds me of a lot of some of the impressions I got watching uh, Utna for the first time. And, I mean, I love it's that beautiful. show. So if it's, yeah. if it's got anything like that when it comes to uh, dealing with characters with emotional issues and, you know, whatever other familial problems this kid obviously has then uh, I am all for it. Yep. Good times. So what does that leave us with? Well, the flips and the flaps, right? Are you guys are doing that? All right. Excuse you, it leaves us with classic lords. That too, that too. Which one did you do first? Glorious classic lords. How about some all ladies' right. night, damn it? Oh, no, no. We, we got to save that one for... So there's, we, there's three episodes we're covering, and we're going to get to the best one last, even though it's in the middle. Because the first episode <laughs> it's so is just awful like though easily the worst episode of classic lloyd so far and i thought like episode whatever it was three was awful like mozart you're making has... it you were putting it a you're putting it at a very high bar to clear here at this point oh uh, like mozart has become like a wild animal living in the woods and randomly attacking bypassers like he becomes sort of this national craze with a name that sounds suspiciously like harambe and he's just <laughs> Like, I, I don't even know. And so he's, like, wearing sticks in his hair and, like, attacking people. And then it turns out at the end of the episode, he's pretending to be, like, the mother of a deer or something. Like, it didn't make any sense and it was stupid. And I hate Mozart even more than before, which, like, that's a high bar. Like, I hate that guy. I was going to say, I didn't it's think true. that was physically possible. But it, here we it are talking about it. did have the best finale to an episode at least but what did he get know, did he get killed by the same bambi that, the same hunter no, no. that got bambi's mom or something no you wish basically there's a scene where kanai like in the end he i don't know quits his life in the mountains and is living in the ocean with a dolphin or something and then kanai goes like she sees that on tv and she just goes 
<laughs> and she's brooming. She's like, I don't care anymore. And, and she's it, just like, like freezes. <laughs> it's like manga style coloring. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, like harmony effect. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. So Kanae continues solid. to be the best character solid. easily. Like, she's she's uh, the straight man yes, for all of the most nonsense definitely. going on. And then let's but see the most recent episode. Like Beethoven, like we said, he got his gyoza thing. Like he figured out how to make the gyoza, so he's no longer obsessed with that. I'm like, oh good, we resolved his arc. Well, guess what, kids? He's got a new arc. He's obsessed with guitar performance now, for reasons. What? And like, it seems like they're they're, yep, they're trying to, to tie all these things back to like historical Beethoven. Like he's got weird memories of his former life. Like, oh no, I remember the time I couldn't hear anymore, and I had to stop performing and had to start composing. And like, he's sort of coming through that, but he decides to come through it by just like getting super obsessed about playing guitar for a while. Uh, and then ends yeah. up on stage performing like guitar music really loud at Bach, who's in the audience for some reason. And uh, yep, it's I don't even know. There's stuff happens. He gets over it. And now he's done with that obsession and on to the next one, I guess. So like that's going to be his character arc. His new obsession, obsession over. New obsession, obsession over. He can't remember what gyoza is. So <laughs> eh, eh, like not great. But then there was the episode in between. <laughs> Sue, take it away. Ladies night, the best episode. It's pretty so, great. Yeah, so List decides to take Kanai out for ladies night. And she's like, so at first they're buying swimsuits. And you're like, this is going to be the worst episode ever. And so Sosuke like finds them in the, the mall and is following them around. And this episode is just phenomenal. It's like the writers just played with the idea of ladies night. And just went wild, like completely and utterly wild. So it's not going so well. And they're goofing around with the stereotypes until they show up at karaoke and Klasky Klasky shows up. So this oh. is Tchaikovsky. Oh, yeah, Tchaikovsky, yeah, who is like a 15-year-old girl, by the way. And, and some other Polish Like, like a one-hit wonder, yeah, Polish composer. These are the two people that serve Bach, so they're kind of like the enemy. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah, they're kind of like the enemy, but it's karaoke with the enemy today. And so they come in and they sing this like Russian folk song where they talk about how every day of the week they hate their lives. And Kanai's like, like your song speaks to me, friendship. <laughs> and so she like grabs the mic and she's like, every day is awful. Mozart is an idiot. Beethoven setting things on fire. Yeah, let's lose our crap. Ladies night. And like goes wild. And List is like, this is everything I wanted out of ladies night. And so and, like, and the two bad guy around, girls are like, I don't know yeah, we can be on. friends with you. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah, so the friendship occurs. They end up on a yacht somehow. <laughs> they, like, yell at Bach through the phone. Like, it's just so good. It's yeah, like, so Liz, good. Liz uses her, her power to release their inhibitions, and they just, all of them just start yelling everything they don't like about Bach at him through the phone. And, like, he just yeah, ends up, he never, so, he never really says uh, much, but he just, he just, like, looks at the phone, and he's like, I'm gonna hang that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just like vump, hangs that nonsense up so undeniably the best episode of classic it's Lloyd's. it clearly pretty just, great it, oh, it is so great it's so great so we, we hope for more uh, of that we do and Indeed. less of, what's... well anything involving mozart i guess i know and less of oh, anything I, else yeah. all right oh gosh all right guys so to end uh flip flappers continues to be amazing uh we described it i think brendan described it a little bit like ghibli i described it a little bit like trigger it's starting to turn a whole heck of a lot like kunihiko ikuhara so hilariously enough dan mentions utena there's a intense amount of symbolism going on here Mm -hmm. some of it sexual some of it about change some of it about metamorphosis like 
a lot is happening to the main characters, to the world. Stuff is changing, and we're starting to understand uh, some of the like more vague symbolic elements that have been thrown in before. So just, oh my gosh, that show is it, just the dark horse of the season. It's phenomenal. So um, yeah, I highly recommend that one too, but... Well, cool beans. Wow, we, uh, with only five minutes over our planned time, we actually did a really good job cramming in these good last work, three, sometimes four episodes, so. Yeah. Hooray! Well done, team. Huzzah. Okay, guys. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time. Yep. Uh, our schedule might get a little bit odd because of the Christmas holiday, but we will uh, try to get the next episode out to you as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. Bye, folks.